Welcome to What the Bump, a birth story podcast. My name is Jen. I am a former labor and delivery nurse who stepped away from bedside nursing after having two babies of my own to become a full-time birth doula. This podcast is where you come to hear birth stories of all different kinds. I believe every birth story is unique. Every birth story deserves to be told and deserves to be heard. So this is a platform where we do just that. Anybody and everybody is welcome to come on the podcast to share their birth story. Even if you think your birth was boring or not very interesting, there's always something that somebody else can learn from it. So through this, I hope that we learn and we grow together. Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today we have Sierra coming on the podcast to share her pregnancy journey and her birth story with us. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me. All right, starting off, give us a little summary of who you are, what you do, anything you want to tell us about yourself. Okay, so my name is Sierra and um, my husband's Andrew. We have a almost six month old daughter, Hazel, and then we have um, a doggy, Eva, as well. And we live in Mooresville, North Carolina, so um, close to Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, we have been here um, in Charlotte area for about five years. We met at our university in California and we um, moved here, got married. Um, We've been married for about four and a half years now. And I'm a dental hygienist, so I love teeth. (laughs) And uh, my husband is a prosthetist orthotist, so he makes limbs for amputees and braces and things like that. So um, the college we went to, um, was healthcare based, um, medical dental. And we met on a soccer intramural team and, um, I hate soccer, but it all works out. (laughs) And, um, we love, um, being on the East coast. Now we, um, have like an acre and have, um, our house we've always wanted. And then my family lives about 15 minutes away in Mooresville. So that's kind of why we moved down here to have that village. And um, I work part-time. So I work only two days a week, which is amazing. Such a blessing. (laughs) So um, yeah, I'd say that's mainly who we are. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, other people can't like see you, but you have really nice teeth. So it all makes sense. Thank you. (laughs) That is a major compliment as I didn't (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense that you are really into teeth because you you have some nice teeth. So, <laughs> yes, I went through like two rounds of braces. All wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Well, super yeah. fun. I love that you work part time because there's yeah. nothing better than, you know, being able to, especially when you have like little ones, um, being able yes. to just soak in that time because it's their fleeting moments. They go by so fast. Um, I know not everybody can like always, you know, quit their job or work part-time, but anytime I have a client who, you know, can stretch the budget, do whatever they can to make that work. I always tell them like, you are never going to regret it for these first, even like just two years of your kids' lives. Like, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of why I went into my field too. Cause I knew I wanted to be a mom. I wanted that flexibility. And, um, also, you know, even though there are times where I'm like, I wish I could be a stay-at-home mom completely. I think the balance is really helpful because yeah. those two days I'm able to 
have adult conversations and do what I love. And so it is a really good balance at this point. Absolutely. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. So tell me about finding out you were pregnant. Yes. So, um, let's see, I started getting the baby fever hardcore Mm -hmm. at like three years into our marriage, I would say. Um, I, so I was like around 28 and I just cannot stop thinking. It's crazy. The hormones that what they do to you (laughs) Um, and so I you know was mentioning to my husband and he's always been just like oh I'd be down like he's very much just not a planner like he doesn't really he's go with the flow so um he was like okay and then the one thing I told him was I always wanted to do a big Europe trip before we have kids so we put that on the books um July of 2022 um, we went to Italy. We had the most magical time. It was amazing. Um, definitely recommend to do before having kids. But um, we were like, okay, once we get back, we're good to go. Really want to start trying. So I am very type A, a planner, all the things, you know. So, um, we, you know, beginning of 2022, I started like tracking my ovulation just, you know, making sure everything was primed and ready to go. And um, so I went to my OB and I was like, okay, this is my plan. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> He's like, okay, first off, try to, you know, don't expect it to happen the first time, you know, all those things. She was like, you know, it's good to have a plan, of course, but um, you do want to kind of relieve some of those pressures, you know, and that can also increase to more stress so all that to say that I I told my husband okay the first three months we try I'm not going to track anything I'm just gonna you know go with the flow that didn't happen (laughs) so I started you know tracking and you know thinking of every symptom oh was that you know and it was really stressing me out Um, I didn't get pregnant the first time or the second time and I started really just putting a lot of pressure on myself and um my faith is also really important to me so I did kind of feel like God was saying okay stop the tracking and everything so the fourth month I completely did not track a thing I didn't think about it and I got pregnant That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah um and the crazy thing was is I that fourth month uh after two weeks of um trying to conceive and everything um or my ovulation, I um, took a pregnancy test and my period hadn't come. So it was like the correct time and it was negative. So I was like, okay, you know, it's just what it is. And then um, I still wasn't getting my period. So I thought that maybe my cycle was just off. Um, I do have thyroid issues and I know that my thyroid was kind of a little wonky still. So I knew that that could have affected everything. So um, I was like, okay, you know, we'll wait and see. So I waited, let's see, five days, still didn't have my period. So I tested again, negative. And then I was like, okay, I, something's wrong. I text my OB and I was like, hey, can I come in for maybe some um, blood work to check my hormones and everything like that? And she's like, okay, sounds good. Um, so then that was Tuesday. Um, Friday, we were having a Halloween party and, um, we were getting everything ready and 
my best friend was like, oh, did you test? Because, you know, we were going to be having some adult beverages. <laughs> and I was like, no, I just, um, I just tested a couple of days ago. Like I'm negative. I know I'm not pregnant. So, you know, we had a good night and <laughs> the morning after I go to uh, my workout at Orange Theory and I was like, oh my gosh, everything was just very, you know, the fatigue type yeah. thing. So I test again and just really just testing to get it out of the way. I look down and it is a dark line and I'm like, what, what? the heck? I, so it was like two weeks after I was supposed to, That's you interesting. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm pregnant. <laughs> and I think it was too so crazy because of course I planned like what I was going to, how I was going to tell my husband, all this stuff, but everything was not what I thought. So I was just like in disbelief and I was upstairs and I have like the little just um, strips, yes. um, not, you know, so I just used one of those, but it was very dark and my husband was downstairs and I'm, I'm just like in shock. I'm not even crying at this point. I'm just in shock. And I just go down, I'm like holding the strip and he's like, what? The? Because also he doesn't know what this strip is. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, so I'm pregnant. Yeah. So we, it took like the full day just to like process it because we both were so like, it would have happened two weeks ago, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was definitely just such a cool moment. Of course, you know, it's, you know, it took him like three days of like processing, like, okay, this is life changing. you know. <laughs> um, so I'll have to say I did call my OB and, um, that is when we were trying to figure out like, okay, why, why was it not coming up? You know, all that, um, but yeah, that was like the main gist of finding out, which was fun. Um, I called my best friend, did a FaceTime, um, and then we told my parents like a few days after. I was one of those where I was like, I need my crew to yeah. know because if something were to happen, you know, like I would want their support, you yeah. know, we didn't tell everyone, but yeah. So that was, you know, just such a special moment for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so fun. Totally caught you off guard. Did your due date end up aligning with like when you thought you should have got the positive or did it end up being like two weeks later than you would expect? Yes. Yes. So that's the whole thing. Um, I went to my OB and originally they had just put the due date to the last, like my last period, right? right. Um. And so that would have been end of June. And um, I, so I went in thinking I was like seven weeks at that point. So she was like, oh, well, we can do an ultrasound today because you're seven weeks, right? We did the ultrasound and there was um, only the sack, no embryo. So you ovulated late. Terrifying. Yeah. Because that's also a big symptom or sign of uh, blighted ovum yeah and that you know so um but I was aware of all of those things the you dates, know? So, yeah yes so that did like help me but still those those two weeks of waiting yeah. was stressful you know because we only saw that and, and she 
my OB, this was my first OB I switched, but she kind of worried me more too, which I didn't love because I told her the whole pregnancy testing and she said, okay, well, you know, this is a sign sometimes of, you know, so she, oh yeah, I was like, no, don't do that. So, yeah. Always just like pessimistic, like, so like sciencey the way that they look at it. It's very frustrating, especially when like you blatantly, obviously ovulated two weeks late, like that. So it makes sense that you were two weeks behind at the ultrasound because you ovulated late. Exactly. Yeah. So that was very frustrating. But again, I did just, I had a piece from God, like, mm-hmm. even though this is scary, I do really believe that I'm just two weeks later. So yeah, yeah we did the ultrasound two weeks later and um, right on track. Yeah. It was just, yeah. So we just changed um, the due date to July 7th. So instead of uh, end of June. So that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so how was your pregnancy, um, you know, first trimester kind of all the way through? Yeah, so first trimester was actually the best trimester, surprisingly. Shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah, right, right. Said no one ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, because, I mean, I did definitely had the exhaustion. I mean, that, of course, oh, yeah. You just, so many naps and all that. But, um, you know, didn't have, um, you know, really a lot of sickness. Um, I was, you know, able to work just like normal. Um, I, let's see. Oh yeah. I still was like doing orange theory through it and everything. So yeah, it was, um, it was pretty good. Um, so I will say I have rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. So that did like put me, um, as a high risk. Gotcha. Um, and so, because of that, um, I was on a medication that was pregnancy safe and like breastfeeding safe and everything, but just all of that made it a little bit more high risk. Um, so because of that, I went through and I still didn't have, like my RA was still about the same, um, but then second trimester hit and my RA got so bad, which is really surprising because most, a lot of autoimmune actually go into remission during Mm -hmm. pregnancy. Um, so I kind of was thinking like, oh my goodness, this is going to be great. I'm going to go into remission. And, and then, um, it started getting really bad and, um, I couldn't take, you know, some of the other medications to help like relieve, um, inflammation because, you know, they're not pregnancy safe. So I think that also played a role. Um, but yeah, all of my OBs were like, wow, this is so surprising. You're like the 5% that it gets worse. I'm like, like thanks. okay, <laughs> thank you. I know. <laughs> so anyways, um, I think that was, that made it really, really hard um, in the second trimester. Also, I did, um, we sold our house, bought a house and moved in my second trimester. Yeah. So of course that is like more stress so much on, your on your body. body. Yeah. Gosh, moving is terrible. Terrible. So yeah, so bad. So um, I I think that definitely played a role in my RA getting worse and just the stress of it. Um, so it was pretty hard. Um, and so then 
I also um, worked at an office in Valentine, South Charlotte. Um, so I moved to Morrisville. So I was still driving an hour there and an hour back mm. through my pregnancy. Oh, yeah. that was probably the hardest part of it too. Yeah. Um, Cause being in the car when you're pregnant, is just not fun. So um, that made it hard. And um, she actually did, um, she was breech um, all the way up until like 35 weeks. Wow. And her positioning made like, it wasn't even just breach. I don't know exactly the positioning, but it was like transverse breach or something like that. Um, okay. Oh my gosh, my back. I had never been in that much pain on my back. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm a dental hygienist, so I'm also bending you know, over, bending yeah. over all day with a two hour drive a day with a breach baby. Like it was just so hard. It probably was one of the most, like mentally um marathon yeah times where I was like I just have to get through this pregnancy you know so um it was it was definitely hard and uh but I also was just so happy too um so that that made it better just getting through it um and then you know third trimester just you get so uncomfortable and um, I had insomnia my whole pregnancy. Mm. As soon as I conceived, I had insomnia. So I did not sleep the whole pregnancy. Um, so anyways, you just get worn down and um, it, it was hard. But first trimester, loved. Wow. That's, that's so funny <laughs> to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It is definitely really rare. Um, okay. So kind of, you, you mentioned she was breached till 35 weeks. So I'm assuming around then she finally went head down, which is a blessing, um, leading up to your birth. What were you kind of planning for? What were you hoping for? How did you prepare? Yes. So, um, I would say the first half of my pregnancy, I was very much just like, whatever the OB says, get an epidural, all those things. Um, and then I started listening to um, podcasts, like what's the bump and all so many different ones. I just loved listening to birth stories. Um, so as I was listening, I started learning so much. And I think a big thing, um, I really wanted to try to avoid a C-section. Little as I know, I had one, but it's okay. Um, so because of that, I was trying to do things to avoid a C-section. So, and in general, I wanted a low intervention um, birth. So um, I wasn't like completely opposed to the epidural, but I wanted, I didn't want it to affect my labor. So whether that be like, I wanted um, to wait until I was maybe seven centimeters. So in like active labor, and then maybe get the epidural, but, um, like, I really did not want to be induced. I, um, because I've just, a lot of friends had inductions and the C-section kind of thing. So, um, that was my plan was just a low intervention, um, birth that was vaginal. So I did, um, do I read the Bradley method book mm-hmm. um husband coached birth and I did um the law uh, mommy labor nurse 
um, natural course series. Um, and I did a lot of preparation, a lot of preparation, which I loved. I loved just learning about it. Um, and I, let's see. So one thing I really had to advocate for myself was um, to not be induced at 39 weeks. Um, my practice um, was very much just like routine induction at 39 weeks. Wait, like for everybody? Like they, yeah. What? I mean, yeah. Girl, run, run. I know, I know, I know. Hold on. <laughs> That's like not evidence-based. That's not like in like standards with ACOG even. I mean, really? I oh, mean, wow. elective induction at 39 weeks. That's insane. So there was a study they kept bringing up. Oh my um, God. Was- the arrive trial. It's <laughs> yes, like the yes. most flawed bias study ever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was, and I did tell them, I was like, I mean, I looked at um, a lot of different studies that were saying induction is not that, you know, and I did bring that up to them and they didn't force me, you know, um, but all that to say, it was one thing where I should have changed providers, um, but I was so nervous to start over kind of thing, which again, it's like people sometimes change providers in their third trimester. So you know, you look back and there's things, but all that to say, um, I did really advocate for that. I was like, I'm, I don't want to be induced, um, because (laughs) there's so many things, but, uh, the one thing was being high risk and, um, the, and then of course the third trimester ultrasounds, which which we hate. I know, I know. Which that my next pregnancy I will definitely not get. <laughs> but um that was another thing, you know, they're like, Well, she's getting big. Well, and, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yes, that was one thing was the induction. I really did not want to be induced. Um and I really advocated. So but the one thing I the, their um, foot in the line on the sand or whatever that saying is, yeah. is 41 weeks. Okay. That's when like, they won't let you go past 41 weeks. Okay. So I was like, Oh, that's okay. You know, she'll for sure come by then. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, so I had the ultrasound. At, they wanted me to have one basically every two weeks after 30 weeks um, to check her um, growth kind of thing, growth skin. So, um, so they finally, yeah, it was 35 weeks. I think she flipped and my back pain instantly went away. Oh, the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, all that to say, I um, was like, okay, perfect. I, I don't need a C-section now. Um, and as I was getting to the end, I think at like 37 weeks, I started doing all of the things to induce, um, you know, raspberry leaf tea. Um, I did the um, uh, mile circuit a lot to try to turn into good positioning. I um, walked a lot. I, um, let's see what else. I... I think that was mainly at that point. And then 
as I got closer, um, it was maybe 39 weeks, I started um, getting like massages, um, pedicures, let's see what else, a lot of mile circuit. I was very <laughs> done with that. <laughs> very done with that. Um, and oh, and then I, um, I didn't get membrane sweeps at that point. I think it was at 40 weeks. Okay. I, I, I did that. Um, and I was only like one centimeter, I think at that point. Um, and, and the doctor was like, oh yeah, like you're looking like you would go to 43 weeks or something. I was like, okay, cool, cool. Um, People do not realize like, speak before you speak that's like my biggest like come on you can't like that just that's not productive for a mom who you know is trying to like stay relaxed and calm and like get all those hormones and oxytocin flowing to start labor being like you look like you're gonna go to 43 weeks like cool yeah yeah okay thank you (laughs) yeah so I did go on I think maternity leave at around 38 weeks Um, So I didn't have to do the drive anymore. And that was everything. I mean, I felt like a whole different person Mm -hmm. after um, not having to do that drive. So that really helped because I did get to just, you know, um, feel more relaxed, um, do so many walks. um, And then also I um, was just in a better like headspace. I did do like, I, um, printed all these like affirmation yeah. cards. Um, I got my worship playlist for, you know, birth and, you know, I was just trying to envision the best birth I could try to do. And, um, you know, as the days kept creeping, creeping by, it was definitely getting to, to my mental state. I mean, it's, it's hard to go over it is. due date. Oh, Absolutely. So hard. Yeah, which I also was very aware of, like, I think the average uh, first time moms go is like 40 weeks, five days, you know, so I was very aware of that. And my, my mom, she, um, she didn't go early, really for any, so I knew like, it probably was going to happen, but still going through it is hard. (laughs) So um, yeah, let's see. At that point, I was I started I started getting cervical checks at 40 weeks and the membrane sweeps and it it's hard I I don't recommend that <laughs> it, it it messes with your your psyche I I will not do that next time but yeah. um I so the membrane sweep happened and I did have like I lost a little bit of my plug a little bit of cramping I did have Braxton Hicks you know all of those things but nothing that was like it wouldn't stick, you know? Right. And so let's see, 40 weeks, five days hit. And I'm like, come on, this is average. <laughs> Still nothing. That's when they, um, scheduled your they induction. planned. Yes. Yeah. They scheduled the induction Thursday night because I did not have a favorable cervix at all. <laughs> yeah. So they had to start at Thursday to like prep okay. my cervix. Um, to schedule it and it was it was so hard driving to the hospital not in labor because I envisioned so much 
okay, I'm going to be like seven centimeters when I get to the hospital. Yeah. Um, so it's fine. I mean, I was, I was definitely ready at that point just to. Right. Like over being pregnant. Yes. Yes, definitely. So we get to the hospital and I, um, start with Cervidil. Okay. And, um, so that's like the, for anybody who doesn't know, it's kind of like a little, I describe like a tampon in a way, like a string tampon, um, has like prostaglandins on it and it goes into the vagina. It's kind of close to the cervix as you can get it. And it stays in for usually about 12 hours. Um, and it doesn't really usually cause contractions or much discomfort. Um, it's more so just to try to like soften up the cervix. Yes. Yeah. So um, one thing I will say is one of my good friends, um, she had, her due date was like the same time as me. She had just gotten induced um, a week before my induction. She had the best induction. She, um, all she needed was the fully bowl and it put her into labor right away. And she had her baby within like six hours or something for an induction. So that was kind of bad for me to like hear. No, yeah. Oh, perfect. Like that's how mine will go, which is very rare for an induction. Yeah. So I was like, hey, maybe, but got to Cervidil, um, you know, slept all, or I didn't sleep all night. No, no, no. I did not sleep all night, but I did get some rest. I think I had, they did give me like an Ambien um, to help. So I did get some rest, which I was very thankful for because, um, you know, hospital, I'm, I'm okay with hospitals. Honestly, it's not like they, like I can relax in them. So I think that was helpful. So morning hit and they're like, okay, great. The, your cervix is really soft. Um, so we're going to start Pitocin. And that was one thing I was like, I really wanted to try to avoid them just ramping up the Pitocin because my goal at this point was I still wanted to try and get through as much labor as I could without the epidural, like get to active labor um, without the epidural so that it doesn't slow things down. But I also knew, um, you know, I wanted low intervention and I'm starting off my labor with an intervention, right? which is just hard. Um, so I knew, okay, Pitocin contractions are different. So I'm just going to maybe change my perspective a little bit on the epidural, you know. So all that to say, um, one of the things I advocated to my doctor was, can we try the um, Cook's catheter or Foley bulb before Pitocin to try and see, you know, if that will help a little bit. And she was very game for that, which I was, you know, thankful. Um, So we did start the, it was a Cook's catheter and so that was like in the morning, I think at like 6 a.m. on um, Friday. And so that's, you know, happening. And, you know, at this point, you know, contraction started a little bit, but nothing bad. And we were just watching TV, you know, just trying to um, let the time pass. And um, hours had gone by and it wasn't falling out, the like balloon or whatever. So I was like, oh my goodness, does that mean I'm not even at like three at this point, you know? And so she finally comes and checks it. I think it was at like 1 p.m. And um, that is when 
she pulls it out and she's like, oh my goodness, you're at um, six centimeters from that. But it's like a mechanical six centimeters. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that was kind of also in my mind bad because I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm at six centimeters. This is a breeze, you know? Uh, But it's, it's a different, way different six centimeters. Um, Cause your hormones, you know, aren't on board. So if we take out that catheter yeah. and like sent you home, you would just walk around six centimeters pregnant and probably, you know, not in labor. Cause you're still kind of not in labor from the cook's catheter, if that makes sense. Exactly. So there can yeah. be like a long pause. I'm always explaining this to clients. There can be a really long pause after that, where like people get excited because they hear six and they're like, I'm going to have a baby today. And then sometimes, you know, it's still not for a very, very long time because we have to get like hormones and contractions on board that the Cook's catheter doesn't do that because it's just a physical balloon in your cervix to dilate it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which I didn't like fully understand at this point. Um, So all that to say, we start Pitocin at this point. And I did say, I really want to just gradually put Pitocin, you know, slow. Exactly. Um, and you know, she was pretty receptive to that, which is good. Um, so Pitocin starts, but the whole, like always having the IV and I mean, that part is not fun with an induction. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that was another envision for my birth was, okay, I'm going to be free. I'm going to be able to go You're to hooked up to so much yes. stuff. Oh, it is the worst. Um, so, but I still was trying to like stay mobile. I was walking. I was, you know, trying to do all the things. Um, I will say at this point, I really did wish I had a doula. And, um, you know, with all of the prep I did, a lot of people recommended the doula and at this point like with me and my husband we were you know thinking about it praying about it and I think one of the hard parts for me was with the Bradley method it's very much just like you and your husband kind of thing and I think that is totally great if you have a perfect birth that goes perfect which Absolutely. That's very rare. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, well, you know, I've done so much prep on my own. You know, my husband had like, he did a lot of the prep with me, you know, so I was like, okay, we got this, but no, 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 no. You need to do a (laughs) lot. You need to do a lot because when, when the things don't go as planned, I didn't know what was best Mm -hmm. for me. He doesn't know. Of course, like we, and there's so much of the, um, fear tactic mm-hmm. thing, you know, where at this point you don't want to do, you don't want to make a decision where you're going to regret later. Right. Yeah. But if you have a informed doula that is there and not in pain, right. Um, also she can help you. So all that to say, that was kind of where I started being like, Oh my gosh, I wish we had a doula. I wish. So, um, because there were these um, decisions we had to make and I wasn't fully sure what to do. Right. So, um, we start the Pitocin, you know, and it's starting to ramp up and it's getting painful, but I'm still breathing through things. I'm still doing all of the, um, different, um, positions and things that help. Um, and then probably like three hours go by 
she comes and checks and not much progress. Um, so she's like, well, how about we um, break your water? <sighs> That's where everything <laughs> went bad. She broke the water and um, that cushion, not having that cushion there, your contractions are just, oh, it was like night and day, honestly. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And then also the Pitocin was ramping up too. So it was like Pitocin contractions with no cushion water. I started going into a very dark place. <laughs> um, it was really, really hard. I was not able to relax. That was one thing I always read was relax during contractions, all these things. And I would just get into this position, like my hands are on the wall and I would just like get through it. And I was very vocal. I mean, all of Mooresville heard me, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, my husband was so amazing. He really was, but there's only so much you can do, you know? And um, I started getting to the point where, so it had probably been, let's see, like six hours of Pitocin contractions at this point. I'm in the most pain of my life. Um, and I was like, okay, um, let's try nitrous. That was one thing at my hospital. So I was like, okay, let's try that before, you know, epidural. So I start the nitrous and I mean, it somewhat helps, but not really. Um, yeah. Nitrous and, is like the kind of like, um, you guys probably use it in like the dental world a decent yeah, amount. We do. It's like yeah. laughing uh -huh. gas that you kind of like breathe in takes the edge off maybe a little bit ish yeah <laughs> not really but um I it's just funny thinking back I was like butt naked on the bed right. with this nitrous and I literally had a bruise on my nose wow. from slamming it <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> yeah I and um so the one thing is, is like, you're supposed to use it only when you're having a contraction, right. right? And you also have to wait, what was it, a minute after um, you use the nitrous to be able to get off the bed. So like, yeah, something like that. I don't know. So because there's a risk, all this stuff. That was terrible because I was like stuck on the bed with the nitrous if that makes sense. So that's so dumb. Anyways. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. So I, um, I, I used that for about two hours, honestly. Okay. Yeah. Which is a long time. Um, so they they keep checking me and they're like, okay. Um, yeah, I think like a seven. I was not a seven. They were just trying to make me feel better, which I actually was more annoyed with. Like, just be honest with me, you know? So I continue that. Um, and honestly, I think I went about 13 hours with um, the Pitocin contractions and everything. And then I finally was just like, all right, I'm not progressing because I still was not progressing at all. And um, like, I needed epidural to try to relax and all this stuff. So I finally get to that point which I don't even know if I was in active labor or I, who knows. It's, it's hard to know with Pitocin, you know? Yeah. 
and because I had the mechanical six, you know, so um, then I'm like, okay, I want the epidural and um, the anesthesiologist was on call at her house. No, no, no. Uh, that was so bad because I'm finally at the point like, okay, I want the relief. I want the relief. And I have to wait 30 minutes. Like, oh, mm-hmm. uh, it was so rough. I was so mean to the nurses, to, to my poor husband. Oh, bless him. He, I guess he was saying like, it's okay, sweetie. Like, I love you. It's like, you don't love me. <laughs> oh so funny but um yeah it was and I just kept saying where is she where is the anesthesiologist where is she finally she gets there and uh, you know they they deal with this all the time right so but I finally get the epidural it took a while for it to fully kick in which that was something I didn't really realize I thought it was more like, okay, you get it and you get instant relief. Mm -hmm. It took a while and finally it kicks in and I like apologize to everyone. I'm like, I'm sorry. I was in so much pain. We understand. And then at this point, the OB is like, okay, let's have you rest at night and we're going to bump up the Pitocin to see if like we can get these things rolling. Right. Mm -hmm. So all night, um, I'm like flipping or she's flipping me and it was very uncomfortable honestly it's like they flip you and then the anesthesia the anesthesia goes onto one leg right so then I start like feeling it the contractions a little bit on the other side and I'm like okay um so all night labor didn't get much sleep honestly at all um and I started getting really worried about pushing and it was just, it was so long, so long. I wake up or somewhat wake up and then she checks me at 7 a.m. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit later. This is a different OB at this point. Yeah, right. And because, you know, we saw all the different nurses, all the OBs because we were there for so long and um she is like she's like you're at like a five six I was like what and she said you you're at a true five six now you know because before it was more mechanical right or whatever but um and she's like you know at this point like we're we're getting close to the 24 hour of having uh, my water broke having my water they broke my water at like 24 hours which I know is not very not, relevant yes <laughs> but yes I know some obese yeah. think it is yeah yeah exactly and again that's where something if I had to do a lot it could have helped me but um so that's at this point they said she's just too big for your pelvis um so fa- the diagnosis was failure to progress and I need this section at this point. And oh, it was so heartbreaking. Um, I also, at that point, didn't really process ever, anything. I, I was just like, I want Exhausted, to- tired, yes. physically, mentally, emotionally, all the things. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything did not go as planned. So I was just like, 
all right let's just do it and I was thankful at least it wasn't like emergency yes, right? right because they were able I think they get do they give you a spinal also or no they, just, they would have just injected it through your epidural that was already in place oh, okay 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 so anyways um they got me very 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 numb yeah so absolutely. Um, yeah so that was so one thing I envisioned was the golden hour skin to skin all of these things that were in my birth plan and everything and I did ask them like can I still have like skin to skin can I still you know um the clear drape those things um and um they were they were like "Uh, I think so but it was very much like there was no communication right yeah uh uh-huh yeah I know exactly (laughs) I know exactly what happened sure and then like you get in there and your baby's at the warmer and you're like what the heck and there's no clear drape and there's no skin to skin and nobody's helping you latch yeah of course yeah yeah yep so and then my husband wasn't able to come in until after like was it after they cut me after they like started yeah is that a common thing Yeah, I would say like most of the time they bring you back and like, you know, get you all prepared and prepped. They test you to make sure you're nice and numb and then they bring him back just in case you're not numb and they need to like give you something else or put you under. Um, But it is still, you know, one thing that like I feel so passionate about as a doula is like, okay, nobody goes into birth most of the time being like, I want a C-section. Like everybody for the most part is like, I want to avoid a C-section as we should. It's a major surgery. There are risks Mm -hmm. to it. However, there are times where we do need C-sections and they are a great tool. Now, I think that we do things that lead us to needing them more than we really should. Mm -hmm. But needless to say, I have seen C-sections save the lives of moms and babies before when they really, really are, you know, necessary. Um, However, we need to make C-sections more patient-centered and family-centered. It is ridiculous that just because, you know, we switch over and go from a vaginal birth to a C-section, all of a sudden – skin to skin isn't important and breastfeeding is not important. And the dad being there is not important. It's like, where did we go so wrong? And I get it's a surgery, but like we can still like all of my, you know, when I'm able to be in the OR mainly at a Novant hospital in Charlotte, um, like skin to skin is still happening immediately after baby is out. Dad is there, you know, at the head of the bed. Like I've had multiple babies latch in the OR and do that breastfeeding in there. Like, it, it can still happen. You can still have beautiful family-centered C-sections. And I just hope that over the next few years, we really, really get there because we've just medicalized it so much to the point where so much is being robbed from women in these beautiful moments. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I mean, it's still the birth of your child. Yeah. It's so still it's the like most important moment. Yeah. So anyways, I, and then, you know, they give you these meds that make you just feel so out yeah. of it too and that was something that was like heartbreaking um so like I mean honestly the c-section went good um because I had labored so long I lost a lot of blood um and so that was one thing I felt just so out of it um and you know it's so like emotional for me but you know Hazel my daughter you know she was on the other side of the room for the first like 30 minutes of her life. And it's like, 
I didn't get to meet her. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it feels so unnatural. Yeah, it, it is. It because it me. is. Like, yes, it is. Yeah. And, you know, Andrew, my husband was able to be with her, which I was very thankful for. Um, but it's just, there is nothing like that first moment when you hear your baby's cry. And I just heard her and I was like, I want to hold her. I want her to know and her mom. No reason. Is there there's no reason you weren't able to do that. Yeah. Like they're exactly. like, Oh, we need to check her out and, and do her weights and her measurements and take her vital signs. But when the baby comes out and is crying and healthy and normal, there's no need for that. We don't do it for the vaginal birth. Yeah, exactly. So why, like, why do we, it makes no sense. It literally I makes know. no sense. Yeah. And I'm sorry that so, that was your experience. You know, thank you. you're not in the, sh- in the place either. Like in those moments, you're so vulnerable. You are yeah. feeling loopy. You're exhausted. You're also in a very scared place for the most part, having surgery, like for you to speak up is, you know, that's almost impossible too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was really hard. She, I mean, they brought her near, or my husband brought her near me when they were, um, you know, putting all my organs back in. <laughs> and um, she instantly stopped crying when she oh. heard my voice. And oh my gosh, I mean, that moment just solidified. And, you know, so, um, you know, the one good thing is like, right after they wheeled me into the room right next to the OR, and I was able to do like the skin to skin. And um, I was able to, you know, latch for the first time and Elsie came in and so it wasn't like that much long after, like she didn't have to go to the NICU or anything. Yeah. So I was thankful for that. Um, and honestly, she, you know, she's 41 weeks. So she, um, which she was only eight pounds, seven ounces, which yes, is a big baby for 41. That's not, they were saying she was going to be 10 pounds, you know? No. <laughs> um, so she latched like right away. And I was so thankful because, you know, I've heard, c-sections and breastfeeding it can make it hard with breastfeeding um so she left right away and honestly that first day was just magical um I just could not stop looking at her um and then the second day hit and it was so hard because I think some of the um the pain meds started to wear off so the c-section um area this um was so painful and also I started like realizing I just had a c-section I started like processing it and I was just mourning it and oh it was so so hard um and then also my milk didn't come in until like five or six days after it took a long time and so um that was hard because as like I only did breastfeeding like she didn't need a supplement in the hospital but then when we got home I still was not having I was only having colostrum and she was getting so so hungry so I did have to supplement a little bit until my milk came in and then um after my milk came in that was really good like with breastfeeding so I was very thankful for that um and yeah, so I I I was long, sorry. No, but, um, that's my birth. <laughs> oh, it's, now I'm six months postpartum and definitely have processed it better. Uh, but it's definitely that first like two months of just 
I was like, I'm a C-section mama. Mm -hmm. I think like, it's just hard. It's like, now I have to think of a V-back and just all of the the things that come with it. Um, But I got through it. So, and I have a beautiful, healthy girl. So that's, you know. (laughs) That is of course, like, you know, what matters in the end, how we get there matters too. And, you know, I feel like sometimes, um, I hate to say like you learn the hard way, but it's like you do every, every woman comes out of that first birth. Like, wow, you learn so much after you go through it the first time. So much of things that, you know, you wish you knew and, and things that you are glad that you did. And like all the Mm -hmm. things, I mean, I, even as a birth worker still leave every birth having learned so much and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So sometimes, you know, I think that that's why I I love the podcast. That's why I even have it. So like Mm -hmm. you can sit here and like retell your story and sometimes just talking through it out loud. Like so many women are going to learn so much from hearing, hearing kind of, you know, what, what you've gone through. Um, and that's the importance in sharing it because you learn so much through it. Um, yeah. And while I know it's not how you wanted your birth to go, you know, like you said, in the end, you do have a beautiful healthy baby girl. Her name is so cute too. I like Thank love you. that. <laughs> yes. So yes. <laughs> um, yes. kind of, you know, thinking of everything that you went through throughout your pregnancy, your birth and your postpartum. One of the like last wrap up questions I ask everybody is if you had to draw like one, you know, piece of advice out of everything that you experienced that you would have to give to, you know, maybe somebody pregnant or a new mom, what would it be? Hire a doula. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. I agree. If you need a doula in Charlotte, I got you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, definitely with birth, that was like the main thing. Um, Just from beginning to end, I mean, like they help in pregnancy, they help in birth, they help in postpartum. I think there's just so much value to it. Um, You know, it's worth every cent I think and I definitely will be um getting one for my next birth (laughs) um so I would say the other thing with um postpartum advice um is definitely give yourself grace with the hormones um I one of the things that I heard from someone was ride them like a wave and it really helped me because I went through it with the the hormones. I mean, everybody does, right? But um, it was just, it would come and it would go. And it was like, who knows how I'm going to feel tomorrow. And I think um, just riding them because it's normal. Yeah. It's what your body needs to do. Um, I think there's a lot of things that you can do to be proactive with, you know, your mental health. Um, I did go through some postpartum depression, um, kind of up and down, very up and down. But I finally got into a groove where I was seeing a therapist. I, um, working out really, really helped me so, so much. Um, so I made sure, you know, um, working out, um, and then taking like your prenatal vitamins, taking like vitamins to help because when you're breastfeeding so much is just you know, being stuck from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I think just being proactive with those things is very helpful, helpful mm-hmm. to get through the, um, that postpartum section. So, um, and then the one other thing was um, once a day in the first like two months, I would leave the house for like 10 minutes 
So I would go on a walk or I would go to the store or just something where I cannot hear Hazel. And that really just helped my mental state where that's good. Because even when you're in the shower, you can hear, mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) so it's like, okay, this is my me time, but no, because you're worrying about if you can hear or the, it's like triggering the sound of it. Like, yes, yes. So just like being completely out of being able to hear her for 10 minutes, that's it helped so, so much. So I definitely recommend that once a day. And my husband was totally on board and he, you know, helped a lot. So yeah, I would say that's the main advice for everything. Awesome. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to share your birth story with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.